Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Matthew the Stoat. He's a London-based painter who is also the visual arts judge for Passage Prize 3. Passage Prize 3 has four categories, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, and visual arts, giving away a total of $20,000 in cash prizes. Also, if you are an editor's pick or a top three winner of one of these categories, your work will be published in the third Passage Prize volume. Passage Press is running a number of titles right now, and they are a partial sponsor of this podcast. Much of my subject matter and many of my guests are writers or uh, books that Passage Prize publishes. Right now, they have After the War, which is a collection of flash fiction that includes writers who have been guests on this show, uh, Lomez, Dan Baltic, and Raw Egg Nationalist, among many others. There's a book called Noticing... It's a collection of Steve Saylor's work over the course of his entire career. There's a patrician edition, which is about $400, which comes with a ticket to a private dinner event with Steve Saylor himself. The New York event is already sold out. However, there's still tickets for other locations such as Austin, Miami, and Los Angeles. They're also selling Unqualified Reservations Volume 1 by Mencius Mulbug, who, which is uh, Curtis Yarvin's anonymous name, formerly anonymous name. Curtis Yarvin has been on the show twice, and we've also had two episodes about unqualified reservations. So stay tuned to the show and go to the Passage Press website. It's passage.press and follow them on Twitter, at Passage Press. To find out about new releases, sales, new events, they're also going to be putting out Man's World magazine, uh, full print, which is going to be full print from now on. That's coming this year. You can uh, subscribe to that on the Passage Press website. So stay tuned. Uh, we have many more discussions coming this year. There's going to be a book of Nick Land's Xeno Systems or Outside In blog coming out this year. And there's also going to be various numbers of reading groups this year. So if you're interested in a reading group about Unqualified Reservations Volume 2, which will also be coming this year, Xeno Systems, which is coming this year, and then the Mystery Grove imprints, which Passage Press is also publishing. It's uh, Peter Kemp's trilogy and uh, Always With Honor by Peter Rangel. Uh, there will be reading groups about those as well. They have many other titles that I haven't even mentioned, so you need to go to the website right now and check it out. You also need to follow me on Twitter at AstroFlight, A-S-T-R-A-L-F-L-I-T-E. And you'll be able to listen in on most of these podcasts. Most of these podcasts are done live. So you can listen live and then interact with me and my guests afterwards. We usually have at least 100 live guests at a time. Sometimes many, many more than that. And uh, so come join us and uh, subscribe to my Substack as well. Astroflight.substack.com The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shabbats, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover what will be God if we reach the side of the ocean floor.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is the first episode of season three of the Astral Flight Simulation podcast, and I am honored to come back with another series of Passage Press and Passage Prize podcast episodes. Season one, we did all four uh, judges of the Passage Prize, and this season, I now have, I think, three of the four judges, or maybe I've had all four judges, today being the fourth judge, Matthew the Stoat. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hi there, Astro. Nice to be here. Sorry, I had to tally it up in my head. Yes, I've had all four. Ju- I've had yeah. all four judges for Passage Prize three. So, because uh, I was well, listening to your space you did earlier with uh, with Lomaz, um, but I only caught the very first sort of beginning of that that recording. Yeah, your episode for the listener is coming out on my podcast before that episode's going to oh, come okay, out. Yeah. So, so the listener knows there's another episode I did as a Twitter space. So you got to follow me on Twitter at astral flight, but it's spelled a S T R a L F L I T E. And you can come listen to my uh, podcast episodes live and then get in uh, on the question and answer after. And you may even end up as a guest on the show because that has happened multiple times uh, by coming to my Twitter spaces first. So, uh, we had the judges for poetry, nonfiction, and fiction. Um, mm. Justin Giles and William Wheelwright, and we had a long discussion about uh, the not only the future of these uh, mediums, but what the judges are looking for. So, Matthew, if you'll if you'll bear with me just one more second, so mm. I can give the reader some context here, I'll let you come in and, uh, and give your yeah, spiel. Yeah. Uh, the for those of you um, at this point, if you're a listener to my show, you you know what the Passage Prize is. But if you've never heard of it before, the Passage Prize is put out by Passage Publishing, and every year they put a theme out, and they want you to uh, write, draw, make visual art, make poetry, and make nonfiction within this theme. And in total, there's more than twenty thousand dollars in prize money. So the first place winners get two thousand dollars, second place, third place, etc. Uh, and there's a lot of interplay here. Uh, people who've won the Passage Prize in the past have then gone on to get book deals with Passage Press. Uh, people who've won the prize became the judges the next year. So it's this big community. It's this big project that everybody's working in together. And then the the beautiful books that they put out uh, have a very high uh, ticket price, $275 for the hardcover, $75 for the paperback. But you're not just getting a high-quality product, uh, a beautiful imagery, you're also getting, you're paying into next year's prize money. So you're helping generate this community and you're helping generate like the next, I don't know what, Paris in the 20s. Uh, Matthew, don't let me get, don't let my head get too big here. <laughs> or you could say Vienna, uh, Vienna, Vienna in the 1910s, maybe Vienna in the very early uh, 20th yes. century. You know? <laughs> We're trying to create this digital uh, salon, perhaps, uh, this digital ca- Paris cafe culture hmm. where artists and writers are all feeding off of each other. Uh, so get in on the conversation. Listen to all of my Passage Prize uh, episodes, all my episodes with Lomez. And uh, Matthew, thank you for bearing with us for the shilling, yeah, yeah, because no this worries, is man. really about you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're judging the Visual Arts Prize. So why did they pick you? How did that work out? Yeah. And uh, tell us about your own work. Well, obviously, man, I can't really say anything about me in relation to Passage Prize without talking about, obviously, the first uh, two Passage Prizes they did. Because the first one, obviously, the visual arts was judged by Geo, um, you know, giant Geo on Twitter, and I'm a you know a long time friend of Geo. Um, and then the second prize was judged by Fender Villiers, 
um, in the art category. We're talking about the art category only here. Um, and obviously, he he's somebody who I've had a very uh, close relationship with artistically and uh, creatively over the last maybe two two years. I think I, I met him at the end of twenty twenty one. I found his Twitter uh, through a chance encounter, just t- totally fortuitous encounter. Me and him, we don't remember how I actually came across his Twitter. I retweeted all of it. He had only had three hundred followers at the time, and I retweeted nearly every piece he'd ever made. And then he got uh, noticed by Raw Nationalist and people. And then he blew up. Uh, you know, he got got several thousand followers in in a month or so. Um, so it is the passage prize is interesting because it, it arose as kind of an independent thing. I, I don't know. That's what you tell me this because I don't really know the exact history of passage prize, but it, it came out with more of the BAPO sphere. Am I, am I correct in, in thinking that? Yeah. I mean, Lomez is uh, one of the core figures of the neo-reactionary mm. group group of people on Twitter. Um, is few... he like an old school neo-reaction guy? Like yeah. he, he sort of had, uh, I don't know, back, back in the, uh, uh, unqualified reservations or whatever or Nick Land early blog kind of thing right yeah absolutely absolutely um but but to say it comes out of the baposphere is absolutely correct mm. um in fact although bap has made it clear where he diverges from moldbug philosophically and politically uh i would i would think well we won't get into that well, but moldbug, I, I, I suppose he's he's diverged you know a lot more in yeah. recent years then but obviously it all comes from that original kind of i think a lot of people had a certain jumping off point and then they all dispersed you know that's in right own different directions didn't they? that's right yeah sorry i wasn't interrupting them no agreeing. no you, you go ahead man really um, well well just to say um that while you know uh i i i, I like neo reaction and i like bat equally mm. um they're definitely different from each other and I think Lomez does a good job of spanning both worlds. I mean, mm. there's not that much effort you have to put into doing that because they are so similar. Um, but but Lomez comes out of the neo-reactionary side of things, and you can see it in his tweets. You know, you oh, can yeah. see your reaction like yeah. permeating it, his tweets. But mm. the passage prize, hold that thought real quick. The passage yeah. prize theme every year has been a, a, a totally Bappist theme. It's been Escape mm. the Longhouse. It's Escape the Longhouse, Rewilding, and then uh, the this new one. It's the Survivalist Guide to the Current Year, I think, is the, the latest theme. Yeah, exactly. So uh, all three of those are related to Escaping the Longhouse, which comes out of Bronze Age mindset. So mm. we have like this uh, molding of the, uh, excuse me, melding of the minds in the Passage Prize. And it is overall, I suppose. I mean, I'm looking at your Twitter here. Interesting. You've you've got this alchemical uh, sort of illustration where the fellow is escaping from a real world into a world of digital uh, yeah. zeros and ones, which I think is quite because again, this this red pill concept or this idea of discovering that the world isn't something that you maybe thought it was, or, or having the naivety lifted from your eyes, that is something that I think everyone shares. That that is a genuine. You know, obviously, red pill it means something so different now. It means some weird sort of like sexual fucking uh, tricks you play on women. But it used to mean, obviously, just a simple lifting of an illusion and realizing that the world as we know it is is a construct or it is something that you can sort of have uh, be disillusioned, you know, from from certain you know, what you call uh, you know, pe- people have got blinders over their eyes. And that's that's what we, we all come from a kind of conspiracy. You know, me and Joe, we, we share so much of this old school conspiracy theory like that, that's kind of woven into the fabric of uh, of western culture where it's like you know 
there are secrets in the world and you can discover them and that will give you a new lease on life almost. It, it will separate you from what we call the normies, as it were. You know? Well, that's why people uh, try to slander or berate our, our scene by calling us Gnostic. Uh, I mean, it's idiotic, but that is why they do that because of what you're talking about here. I don't think it's ever, you know, getting the knowledge again, people do run up against the wall. I notice in our spheres where they think simply knowing stuff about, you know, it's this, it's that it's the, you know, I I don't know what I can say in terms of it's this group or that group, but you know, you can say whatever you want on my show. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's the, you know, it's the Masons, it's the Jews, it's the, you know, whatever, then you have the key to understanding everything. And then, but that, that to me, that just ends up for a lot of people just being another pair of reality goggles they put over everything and then they view everything that they become quite blinkered again. Uh, so it's not, it's, it's more of this kind of um, crystallized matrix where you go down a level, then down a level, then down a level again. And, you know, you're still looking at the world through a different series of blinkers. Um, maybe, you know, th- th- this is our curse, I suppose, as, as a, you know, a species or as as a because we, we have this weird forgetfulness where particularly nowadays in the digital world you know you forget what happened last year let alone 10 years ago uh, we have this vague kind of like you know we're going around in circles um but again escaping the, this idea to go back to the, the prize itself i mean again escaping the longhouse to me it always meant this kind of idea of you know, rejecting constraints again, I come from, I'll tell you, Astro, I, I come, my artistic background really quickly is in recent years, at least, I mean, I could go for the very, you know, back 20 years, but that's boring. In recent years, at least, it's been very inspired by Gustav Klimt and by the Vienna secessionists. And the idea of a secession where you take yourself away from a stultified, ossified, uh, you know, academy, basically, where, where everything is kind of this formalized thing. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And you secede, you take yourself away and say, we're going to challenge this academy. We, we, we're, um, there is obviously, there's a kind of, you know, everyone has that that edgy rebel kind of quality to them. They like the idea of being an underdog and a, a rebel, but you have to build something. You can't just be a rebel all your life. You, know, you have to build something parallel. You have to build something that which, because the Vienna secessionists, they eventually got funding from the Viennese government because they realized that these people were making art that was far more powerful and far more, strong and vital than anything the academies were producing the academies had run their course you know they, they were making art which was tired and it was repeating itself over and over again you know so again it's, it, it is that's why in the bap sphere i suppose you have this transgressive quality talking about also, you know you, you know that all the bap tropes and i'm sure your, your listeners all do as well you know just the general kind of transgression um very funny as well and it's got to have an element of humor because if you're if you're not funny then you're not going to get anywhere at all. You know, you can transgress all you want, but if it's not done with a kind of a wink and a nod and a humorous kind of verb, then you're not going to, not going to get very far in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's about basically building something from the grassroots, building something up and encouraging creative people to actually do something that isn't just pandering to, to the, you know, the, 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 the gay or whatever you want to call it, or the, you know, the, the, the general kind of academy that we have today. Well, just anyway, so, uh, yeah. for those who aren't familiar, the, he means the gay is in the global American empire. You know, so so the longhouse uh, is let's make it short and sweet. It's mm. it's 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 based on the idea that uh, live like uh, agrarian, early agrarian societies lived in longhouses and uh, the natural hierarchy of like the familial structure played out, at least according to this theory, in that the women kind of ruled the roost. 
and that and it was essentially an egalitarian structure where everybody shared rooms and beds and things and there was kind of like a free free like it was yeah. almost like the hippies you know people think because this comes from a romanticized view i suppose of uh primitive people or whatever you want to call it or pre yeah. pre-columbian civilization which you know it's a it's a powerful visual image which i think again most of bap's concepts they are really basically you know powerful visual tropes and visual images that you just kind of get stuck in your head and you know you use them for your own purposes yeah he's the best at that he's mm, exactly. he's the, that's why he succeeded when so yeah. many of his imitators have flopped absolutely. exactly and <laughs> his his haters and his detractors as well have they have nothing nothing because they, they can't paint a compelling picture or they can't even get a compelling meme you know it just it feels quite quite forced you know yeah Again, it is. It does come as well to humor, <laughs> like just this kind of brutal, like you know, very dark, cynical humor. But it's also got kind of a joyful playfulness to it, which I, I always appreciate. You know, I'm not. And, I wouldn't consider myself a bat, a bat follower at all. But I, I can really understand and appreciate his his verve and his you know uh, directness. Well, I think the joyfulness is why it resonates with so many mm. people. Mm. We're looking for that these days. That's what we are looking for. And again, in the art, back to passage again. We are, as a judge here, I am looking for people to do things which are serious, but also got a bit of a you know edge to them. You know, the the thing is that nowadays astral like the, the edge when you're talking about something which is transgressive or something which is kind of it doesn't mean what it used to mean in the 70s or in the 60s. It's not about mm -hmm. you know this whole feminist thing and all this mm -hmm. you know, uh, conceptual art stuff turning it, up. Yeah, and even like sexual liberation or being like pornographic no, is no more. Out. Yeah, it's played out. Being being sensual and being erotic is something which is we're very much lacking. As well, I talk about that for for, no, for hours myself. But well, you should. That's the, really <laughs> important. And I and the thing is, is it's missed by a lot of people. It's mm, a it's yeah. it shouldn't be a nuance, but it no, is a nuance no. that a lot of people miss clearly. No. We we are living that's right in a pornographied pornified world, whatever you want to call it, where things become and and characteristic of pornography to me is it's not erotic. It doesn't Absolutely. have a sensual quality or, or a sexy quality at all. It's actually quite sterile, um, which is why it's an inversion. It's obviously why in Christian morality or whatever, it's called, you know, it, it's a it's a sinful thing. But obviously sensuality and erotic and all sorts of things, that, that plays throughout all Western art for, for decades and decades and hundreds of years, you know, thousands of years. Um, but that's the thing. And it is quite it's quite a transient sort of quality where you, you can be on the edge of something that's pornographic or the edge of something that's too much. But you've got to always have in mind that sort of that sensuality and that general, you know, generative vital force. You know, because you know, pornography is a sterile thing and it's it's not something that generates anything. It just sucks your life away. You know, um, I mean, I couldn't agree more. So listen, um, I'm in, in the hope that some of the people listening might be interested in entering the Passage Prize mm, or at least course, yeah. uh, participating and reading it and looking at it. Uh, I, I want to stick with this uh, discussion that we're having because you mm. paint and sketch and draw a lot of sensual images, nude women, mm. uh, but it's not pornographic. And I think this is important, an important thing to distinguish uh, because I have this perspective that i'll lay out in one second uh but mm. i just want to get back to the longhouse uh escaping the longhouse rewilding and now uh what, what did you say it was it was a, well, it's a survivalist, survivalist guide current, yeah, yeah yeah so i mean yeah. in terms of what lomez has laid up just quick that's right he's, he's sort of obviously escaping the longhouse was kind of establishing ourselves as saying this is a new artistic uh, culture or a new scene uh 
a lot of the stuff we received and geo judged in the first one it was it was you know it was it was quite a mixed bag there was lots of kind of strange stuff but then because of Lomez's great curation and he is a fantastic curator and a fantastic sort of visionary in terms of he knows exactly what he wants uh and then the book that comes out you know is again the whole passage prize is is something that collates and uh, curates a series of disparate art and again we do not have a coherent art movement me and fen have talked about this a lot me and geo there is no style or there's no you know but there's no manner because this world is a very scattered and sort of you know it's it's a very crystallized world but bringing stuff together and curating stuff is what brings things into a style and bring things into unity later and after the fact you know um and then obviously the second brief he did was um what was the second one um, Re rewilding you mean rewilding yes, that's right. yeah. yeah so this idea of kind of growing outwards and actually making because people talk on the right for i mean you've heard this i'm sure Astral, for years almost people talk about well we need to build parallel institutions we need to bring back uh organic communities and you know and it took a very long time for people to actually realize what that really entails and yes. what that, that actually that means yes. putting down the mouse for a while putting down the dopamine uh, drug uh, and actually meeting people and doing doing you know maybe meeting strangers is a strange thing you know and to this world today teaches us that that's a very uh you, know, you don't want to be doing that there's there's weirdos out there there's freaks out there and you know again that that's the idea of safetyism that's the idea of the longhouse is stay here it's safe and warm and we have our weird little sort of incestuous family and we're stuck in sort of a primitive mode of being where nobody aspires to anything higher um that's what we want to burst out from you know yes and, and yes that's so well said and let me just interject real quick mm. i need to make it clear because when people i talk to who don't know what the longhouse is but they hear mm. about it and they ask me mm. The quickest way for me to explain it is to say that it's woke culture. Woke culture mm. is the longhouse. It's female led. It's gynocratic and it's stifling. Uh, there's but someone it's the bad aspects of it. It, it. It's not necessarily. Well, right. It, exactly. It's toxic or say toxic, but it, it's. What it's the, nit it's the, the nitpicky the... and looking over your shoulder mm. and, and criticizing exactly. and questioning yeah. everything you're doing. Go on. Yeah. It's that, like you said, it's the dark aspect of femininity, which is suffocating and yes, growth. You know, yeah, absolutely. They want you to stay home. They want you to stay yeah. under their wing. They Wear don't want five you to... masks. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You might get a bug. You might get a graze on your knee. You know. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you for bearing with me. I wanted to go through that to mm. kind of get us to make it explicit how what we're talking about fits the theme. It mm. fits the longhouse theme because. Uh, uh, the question I have, uh, because we, we, you said we live in this pornograph, pornographized society, mm. but it's lacking the erotic. Mm. It's lacking passion. That's it's, right. it's lacking the things that are required for like a, a true spiritual bond between mm. lovers. That's uh, it. My, now my thought is that, uh, pornography but not just pornography, but also like uh, dating apps online, mm. uh, you know, uh, and just hookup culture in general, even even pre dating apps, just the concept of hookup culture in general. It's all of a, it's all of the same sort. Mm. So the question is, is is uh, I think that that is like a longhouse uh, cultural effect because it's gynocratic. Because uh, in, in many in many instances, and we could debate this, but people say mm. that women. 
uh, choose. Well, they dictate the rules yeah. and the, these apps. Yeah. Astro, so it's gynocratic. See... Sorry, sorry, continue. Sorry. No, I was just hmm. finishing my thought that it's 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 gynocratic. So getting out of that would be escaping the longhouse is the, mm. is the case I'm trying to make. And now uh, for the survival guide uh, to the current year, you need to break free of that like gynocratic uh, mindset of, of, of hookup culture. And, um, and even like, even, even marriage where the man becomes like the, the handbag to the wife where he, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just there as like the, the brute labor force. Um, so I think for, it's interesting. Actually, ahead, just yeah, just, just quickly, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. The, the wording that Lomaz has chosen for the the third passage is not just a survival guide; it's a survivalists guide. So in, implying mm. that we have to become survivalists, and that is a very American part of culture. You know, uh, this idea of surviving in the wilderness, because America is obviously a frontier-based country where the strength of America comes from these very hardy men. You know, I don't know necessarily the, the, the detailed history of it, but and there's these very hardy men who pushed westward, um, suffered great hardship and, you know, conquered a land which was very, very hostile. And uh, you know, that was a huge and Herculean effort for those men, you know, and they were men made of made of steel, you know, they were incredibly made of sterner stuff. And then obviously, you know, you have this idea of the meme where, what is it, good good men make, uh, good hard men make good times and all that, you know, you know the one. Yeah. <laughs> so we've created a basically, a, America particularly now, because it's sort of reaching that cyclical Spenglerian sort of stage in empire where, you know, we have reached the soft men are making harder times. That's right. Um, now comes the, necess the necessity to bring back that survivalist or back that woodsman frontiersman kind of mindset where, but you're not surviving in a wilderness, you're surviving in your own country, which is even stranger and even more kind of, you know, what you call cyberpunk, you know, it's like a Blade Runner-esque future where you've got to, you're in a country which is suddenly becoming alien and, and uh, you're disconnected, you're, you're dis detached from your own land. Um, and obviously surviving means you've got to carve a path, you've got to protect your loved ones, protect everything you own. And creating art in that environment, creating something creative becomes even more vital and even more valid at that point, you know, because there's a, you know, we know there's a prevailing culture, there's a prevailing art style, there's a prevailing aesthetic it's very, you know, it's obviously typified by that humans of flat kind of thing with Geo talks about, Geo has written about um, the corporate Memphis, corporate Memphis style, whatever you want to call it, where again, that that is emblematic of safetyism and of a homogenized, pasteurized society with no, you know, it's very safe. It's, it's, uh, nobody can be offended. You know, if you want to survive in this world, you need to create art which touches people and gives people a bit of a boost, you know, it gives people like, oh, that is a heroic figure. That's a heroic landscape. That's that's looking at uh, something with new eyes. You know, that's why people gravitate again towards Fenn's work, and that's why he was selected to judge the second passage prize because his work makes people feel like larger than life. It, it, it makes them feel like these are grand, heroic, titanic forces that he's throwing around. You know, people forgot that even was a thing. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on on the idea of survivalism. Anyway. No, that's perfect. And every time, you know, I hear the judges talk about their thoughts mm. on the subject that they're judging, I, I'm like, I have to smile again that Lomez just, he's just hitting mm. it out of the, he's hitting it out of the park every single time. In light of what you just said, I mean, you just, you just said it uh, very well that the survivalist guide to the current year, right? Mm. Means, the it means, year. yeah, it means being within this 
uh, society within the longhouse, but uh, uh, not being like uh, mind fucked by it. No, no. And Passage Press is named after Ernst Junger's <laughs> book, uh, The Forest, yes, Passage. Right. The Forest yeah. Passage. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So and Junger, obviously, he he was somebody who he had this idea of the anarch, right? Which is yes. Uh, person who's unmoved by the forces or he, he observes the forces of history and the currents of history but he's a spiritually stable force or he's a spiritually he's a law unto himself in a spiritual sense doesn't mean he's not in history you know because we're we're all in history um and Ebola, you know, this is a similar to the idea of Ebola's differentiated man which is kind of this abstract concept which he leads the ride the tiger with uh, and ride the tiger is one of the books which kind of basically made me the man i am today believe it or not. everyone needs to read ride the tiger <laughs> no, it's, you in, it's insane listen to my show <laughs> because basically this has turned into an art podcast basically it's like mm. almost all i talk about anymore mm. and that book is like the template i'm trying to do like the new ride the tiger like yeah, that that's yeah. my main inspiration is that book so go on but with, with the podcast format astral i mean you can actually go into far more depth than Evola did in ride the tiger because again it, you got to remember in Ride the Tiger, he he had only the chapters are very short, and he dealt with some very broad subjects, basically kind of dissecting modernity's assumptions and the whole you know a lot of philosophical assumptions that modernity held, even in even in the four or five pages, you know. So it was again, it was a manual, as he says, it's a it's a manual for aristocrats of the soul, and I treated it like a manual when I read it in uh, 2015 or 2016 or so. I think it was 2015 I read it. <clears throat> and I'll tell you a brief bit of lore if you wouldn't mind. If it's kind please of do, lore, yes. You know, um, I first came up, and this is how I actually encountered Geo. Weirdly, I encountered uh, Evola through a, a very, very uh, now kind of obscured uh, show called um, the Plebeian Podcast. And the Plebeian Podcast was was a group of very young men from England. Uh, they were from the countryside in England, not not Londoners. They they were from various parts of England, like Exeter, and they would do a show which was extremely ahead of its time. It was it was really these were teenagers, after you know these these kids were uh, seventeen to nineteen years old. They would do a show where they would all just talk about ideas which were extremely. Um, they were barely brushing the surface, you know, in terms of. Uh, what the current right was talking about this was around the time i suppose when back was first making his mark on the solo forums maybe and, and on certain pua communities he was testing his guns you know in those communities am i right in saying that it was around 2014 2015 as far as i know yeah that's yeah. that is the lore because <laughs> i know he has a he has a career that stretches obviously far beyond the the trump era and he but, was yeah. a he was around <laughs> as bronze age pervert for three or four years before he put his book out Oh sure, yeah. Oh no, of course, yeah. The the, the book was Bronze Age mindset was twenty fifteen, was it, or was it? No, was it, it was like 18, 18, 18, 18, sorry, 18, 19, 18 yeah. yeah. Micronology is scrambled, but yeah. So the plebeian podcast they would talk about things like Evola and Spengler and uh, quite it, again. Th these were young lads who were, you know, to be fair to them, you know, they were very precocious, a little bit autistic. <laughs> very precocious lads and they were maybe punching a bit above their weight in terms of the ideas that they were trying to deal with yeah but yeah it was a very compelling to see like i was maybe 24 23 24 i just come out of like you know again very typical of people in my generation like extremely uh 
degenerate culture, rave culture. I was, you know, we did, we did the whole rigmarole, you know, I don't want to don't need to go into it, but no, we I should. Gonna... I think me and you share, <laughs> no, share we'll some definitely... of that, but we'll get, we'll get to that later <laughs> yeah. though. We'll but get that, to that. That's later. interesting to go into, but again, it becomes quite tiresome because there's so many of us generation have that story, you know? Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and the but, guys, but we had a lot more fun us. than the younger guys. We did. Yeah. It's weird because the fun, again, the fun is always tempered by a very dark and very kind of like churning undercurrent. If you know, you know, obviously, you know, that, that, that's a generational thing I've come to realize now. Um, and yeah, the kids, what we call kids now, obviously, you know, these guys who made the plebeian podcast, they're in their late twenties now. So they're coming up to, you know, they're, they're approaching 30. And then now you've got a whole new cohort of kids who've just, you know, they've, all they've known is TikTok and Twitter. You know? Right. Um, right. But the point, the point being, sorry, that these, these guys, they introduced me to Evola. And I was like, wow, this guy is, is what I, I didn't know what to think genuinely. Like I was like, this is a guy who is because I have this, uh, I'm sure maybe Astro, you, you understand this idea of, you know, like a, a counterculture or a, a subcultural thing where I was a goth, I was a punk, I was a metal head. Yeah. Yeah. Techno drum and bass head. And you think you're looking for something that's underground all the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> And I mean, I, I that's why, how guys like know. me and you ended up where we are now. Oh, of course, absolutely, hundred percent. Because this Martin is where well. this is where it's at. Techno, techno guy, I know. Um, Who? Yeah, Martin, um, Russian cosmist. He was a techno guy. He was a techno guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. doesn't post. He doesn't post about it anymore. But um, yeah, he he was a, he's big into techno. Um, a lot of a lot of euros are. Oh yeah. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. You just said. Um, I want you to go back to what you're saying. You just said you were looking for like. The, the what what was currently underground at the time and like that's well, no. what this scene is here now <clears throat> well I was although, looking although to it's make blowing sense up it's starting world. to blow up now yeah I, what it was after all i was looking to make sense of a world which had kind of chewed me up and spat me out basically and again we have a lot of similar people i know have got similar experience where you expect the world to be a certain way you expect it to basically mirror the world that your parents experienced i suppose or at least an idealized idea of what your world, the world your parents experienced where you expected to uh, party a little bit meet a girl you then get together you maybe move in together you get a house together you have children so that kind of thing that that's kind of the thing that was unconsciously sort of placed on us and then obviously a lot of things went wrong with lots of people and they got very disillusioned they got very you know like scattered and things broke down and that that is again and it made so much sense to me astral like listening to what Evola said and when he's talking about because he was talking about things breaking down that not well not natural he doesn't view it as natural but that that uh involution or that slide towards entropy which was something that was something that informed the very fabric of this world and you think you're, you're going through the world and you've you know you've had relationships destroyed you've had people stab you in the back and you've stabbed people in the back you've been buffeted by these winds of this 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 world which you don't understand and then you think ah oh, this guy he is locked into the current of what is going on in this world and it gives you it generally feels like it gives you superpowers it's very strange um you get energized by it and you think right this is the state of this world you know it's a nonsensical state but i can again that's why he introduces the concept of the differentiated man you know that the man who is the anarch or he is he's of this world but he's not entirely he, he's able to be uh spiritually moored to something deeper which obviously ever calls tradition you know, yes capital exactly exactly no go on no no yeah I, um that's just yeah that was again a big 
turning point for me, I suppose, when I when I read Ride the Tiger. And it's interesting, Astral, because when I was reading that book, I wasn't reading it sitting down at a desk. I was reading it going to London. I was reading it going to raves. I was reading it like really fucking out of my mind and generally just, you know, I was reading a little bit at a time, you know, because I, I, I couldn't deal with the gravity of the things he was talking about. I'd never, I had no grounding in philosophy or no no grounding mm. in in. Uh, but let's let's make it clear concepts. for the listener that book is mm. about is about art and art movements. It is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's so great. As they pertain to a particular cultural moment, which obviously Evola himself, you know, he lived to the, to the 70s. I believe he, he died in the 70s and he saw the whole transformation of Europe and, the, the, you know, that whole myth and that whole the, the, the thing that was constructed like the psychic uh, hyperstition or the psychic entity or whatever you want to call it that was created by those upheavals in europe which we're still living under the shadow of today yes. in such a serious way and i do think that we need <clears throat> to step out from that and really um shed ourselves of that in some ways and it's painful it, it is a painful thing to shed yourself off because you're living in, you know, I do believe in this idea of amorphic resonance and psychic trauma and all sorts of things. It's a bit woo-woo maybe, but the idea that we're living in a traumatized society, which has been, you know, thousands upon thousands, millions of young men, Astral, were shredded by shrapnel and machine gun fire. And there were fathers and potential fathers and, you know, brothers in there. And it, it's still affecting us as a, a civilization, so long after and it's not even, not even that long in historical terms you know it's it's um it's it's something that we're still coming to terms with you know that's why can't you see on twitter you know without someone talking about hitler every every three minutes literally it's just a constant like thrum in the mind um that's what we're trying to step out of the paradigm um because there is no going back ever ever understood there is no going back in terms of you know like you can't replicate ancient egyptian bloody society you, know, you can't replicate medieval society but you can take maybe what's made those societies cohesive and made them you know again it, it's based on looking upward to a hierarchical structure and it's interesting talking about passage prize because the idea of a prize based on merit and based on something that is you know you're, you're competing against other men and you know just other creative people that is something which is quite a traditional thing. You know, there, there's a hierarchy to that. Um, I I like being a judge or something because I like looking at the aesthetic qualities of people's work. I, I like seeing how hard they've worked. And, you know, hard work, it means a lot. These are all great comments. So there's no prize for participation is what I'm saying. So. <laughs> yeah, well, one, one of the things I, I hammer on about a lot is uh, you have to do the the thankless work in isolation mm. and obscurity if you want to make it anywhere. Absolutely. You have to do things for free. You have to do things that no one's ever going to look at. <laughs> yeah. You have to do things that uh, that maybe people look at and don't like. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way we're, and we all have to do that together as a community yeah. to to get yeah. there. But um, you said some stuff I want to I want to get to. Mm, sure. Sure. Uh, so. If we live in a postmodern era now, or, mm. and you could make the case that we live in the hypermodern era, which I like to think of as like the digitized uh, before it was analog, the postmodern era was cable television and mm. 
and well that and, cutting off point is definitely the di- the birth of the digital age right that, right that will be seen in future years as the cutting off point certainly i agree i agree mm-hmm. but it's still kind of postmodern in this sense and i bring it up for this reason uh one of the defining characteristics of postmodernism is the break with the past it's being mm. unmoored from oh, tradition yeah. it's being unmoored from the 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 the, the flow of time mm. uh narratives as well obviously the, having a collective story having a general kind of you know, story about who we are where we came from you know that, that yeah is something the break from the down. past and the breakdown of meta narratives are basically the same thing uh i don't know if it's a chicken or egg thing Hmm. but it seems like the breakdown of meta narratives causes the break with the past but it also seems like the break the break from tradition and i say this in context of what you're talking about because of the two world wars Hmm. um that they broke down uh the meta narratives but either way well as i said we have this cultural amnesia yeah and the stories are what's prevents us from this amnesia from, from completely taken over you know and when you break down the stories you destroy the stories then people get very forgetful they get very instinct they go insane basically you know because our hardware is so limited our, our brains are so limited but yeah. yeah well we yeah because we need to be situated in a matrix of culture and myth mm. and other people mm. uh and and the past and the potential future together the shared destiny it gives so much richness and, and meaning to everything you know? and it, yeah it, it it imbues us with it imbues us as individuals with like the the the, the life force we need to like to to make it through every fucking day <laughs> that's it that's exactly it you know yeah you so, got to be situated in in a story you can't be just this you know drifting particle it's, it's well i when you think about it tell me if you agree with this i see part of our job and this is, mm. I mean, I, you know, I'm not trying mm. to theory sell here, but this is actually what some of the German idealists say we needed. And Nietzsche mm. says this explicitly in The Birth of Tragedy. Oh, yeah. I think what our job here now, me and you, everyone listening, Passage Press, Lomez, all of it, mm. part of our job is to remythologize our lives, to yeah. situate ourselves back into like this, this matrix of culture, this matrix of mythology, religion, now. spirituality. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, eroticism plays into that because that's the only way you're going to make babies. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's the remythologizing is a great term. Actually, remythologizing the world. People talk about reenchanting the world. Of that. that, maybe it's a bit kind of effete for me, but yeah, bringing back this idea of a you know a, a golden thread of mythology and it's just it's just be- to me it's just beautiful you know it, it's 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 a very wonderful idea you know it's well, strange d- how I we, mean, we, we lost it do you think it's too lofty of a goal or do you feel like you're in every connect- <laughs> someone's got to do it that's the thing yeah man exactly do it exactly who's gonna do it <laughs> you know? and 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 I recognize i tell this to my people all the time i say that i am the most flawed and uh you know, uh, unstable uh, carrier of this tradition, but I am somebody who, you know, again, you've got to be a bit mental to, uh, you know, to understand that this even is the predicament that we're in. That's the thing. It's like, because there are so many weird little conditioning things that happen and, and, you know, there's so much programming that goes on that is very subtle and it's layers upon layers upon layers you know you've seen obviously some of these weird like american officials and people in government that they're clearly you see them and they, they they're on so many fucking drugs you know um 
so there's a particular phrase in, in a in a Godspeed You Black Emperor song, which always resonated with me, where he, where he, there's a sample he uses and he says, "We're on so many drugs with the the curtains drawn or something like that." Where there's a highly medicated population which doesn't want to face up to the idea that things actually mean something, you know? right? And that hurts when you first realize it because then you've got to say, "What's my part in this and what's my role in this i can't just be a, a, a drifting sort of gnat you know in in the breeze um yeah things mean a lot that the, and that's why people originally to just divert really fast you know that's why people resonated with jordan peterson before he got fucking zogged out of his mind you know and before he got <laughs> you know he got psyoped into a zombie he did touch on something after i'm sure it'd be, this was 2017 2018 you know he was touching on something which they thought shit he's he's touching on something which could lead them to to jesus or to could lead them to something meaningful you know like understanding mythology we got to you know put the put the lid on this um and then they did obviously put the lid on this so, well anyway, i mean this sorry, is I, actually I no no you're not diverging at all this is actually the perfect example because the real reason they came down on jordan peterson mm is because he was uh, advocating for a reassertion of masculinity. Mm. And that threatens the longhouse, for sure. That's really why they took him down, in my opinion. Oh, That's yeah. why, why they yeah. went after him. I mean, uh, it was done in the most milquetoast way. It, it was done. It I was know. simply done in a way where I it was know. Like, men, believe it or not, you can actually assert yourself as uh, a being with agency. Or, you know, he, he was he was being so mild about it. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. But then it's weird, Astro, because, you know, interesting, they zogged him, but then Andrew Tate gets to somehow, you know, peace be upon him, Andrew Tate gets to fucking run rampant and run roughshod across across culture because the things that he's offering to men are actually very much the killer of that younger anarch uh, potential so well that everybody has. He destroys that in men. That is so that's well why said. they love him. He's a virus, but he's a bioweapon, you know, this guy. So, yeah. No, that's perfect because Jordan Peterson was advocating for you to be a fucking father Mm. and be monogamous with your wife and uh, raise children and be in your and your children's life. That is uh, truly I mean, and I'm talking textually uh, antithetical to the communist, Mm. uh, the communist agenda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, They want to rip families apart. Uh, so that makes perfect sense what you're saying mm-hmm. that that Andrew Tate is uh, assertive of this certain type of masculinity that Zog has always been promoting. I mean, it's yeah. the rap star mentality that that's always been. Uh, what, and they, what... it's interesting that they make a pantomime and they make a theater of it being this. Oh, it's scary. It's dangerous. Blah blah. But they still let the guy kind of like, you know, yeah. They let certain pathogens into the system, and those pathogens are there to support them basically well it's because that kind of thinking sows chaos cultural chaos and that's how they thrive that's how they thrive you know i'm not a black nationalist at all but i love (laughs) i always bring this up uh malcolm x Mm. was things about him i don't like but uh he was promoting fatherhood oh yeah in the same way that jordan pearson was and here's the problem if you live in a society in which traditional masculinity is broken down you no longer have, especially like not even just through like feminism, mm. even just through the way our lives are lived, where you're not like on the farm or like working a trade next to your uncle and your father and your cousins and your brothers yeah. every yeah. single day modeling their behavior. Mm. You're off doing your own thing and you're yeah. getting sent off doing your own thing. So now we need people like Malcolm X and Jordan Peterson to come along 
and like teach you how to be that sort of father and how to be that sort of man. But that sort of man is what builds intact communities and families Absolutely. that are resistant yeah. to the to the to the uh, entropic effects of, you know, Zog culture and Zog culture, of course, of course, among other things. And I don't just mean indoctrination of feminism through college, indoctrination, indoctrination of communist ideology. I don't just mean like flooding immigration through the borders. I know England's going through a lot of yeah. shit, just like everybody else. These are but minuscule I... little, these are signifiers of a very much grander psychic. It, it's more of a psychic thing where it, it's a it, full, it, it, it's to a totalizing in assault. The warp, almost. It's a shadow in the warp and shadow in the mind. Yeah. But uh, just to finish my thought, what, mm -hmm. what I mean in addition to those things is also the music culture and the literature Ooh. culture and the journalism mm -hmm. culture and, and the film culture. Yeah. Uh, that's why Passage Press exists. That's why Passage Press exists. Uh, we need to reassert uh, these traditional values. And to get back to Evola, mm. his whole argument is that the way to overcome nihilism, because that's what he's talking about in Ride the Tiger. He's yeah. talking about nihilism. He's saying that all of these art and cultural movements of the 20th century are at base nihilistic. They don't mm. actually reconnect you to anything higher than yourself. They're not actual actual spiritual movements. They're nihilistic right. movements at base. Yeah. Uh, so my argument they don't have that. They don't have the thread of tradition. Again, he's looking for something. Yes, exactly. Has, even if it's not in the exact form itself, you know, like he says, we're not going to go back to ancient Egypt. But it's the form of that. You know, within the Kali Yuga, you know, he understands that this is an age of decline, an age of chaos. But within that, he recognizes that you can have certain uh, flourishings and you can have certain ups and downs and you know little uh, oases almost of culture so well that's what we need to be an oasis yeah. of culture uh so let me ask you this um and just just you know for mm. the prize but also just for your art in general and stuff you know avola's what he's doing in those books is is he's like reestablishing the tradition that we're lost from and he's like mm. giving us like a handbook you know uh young young and um Joseph Campbell, mm. uh, those are two of the guys that Peterson and his friend Carl, I think his name's something, Pagot, Jonathan Pagot. Jonathan Pagot, yeah. They're yeah. big. He's orthodox uh, iconographer fellow. Yeah. They're big uh, Jungian archetypical. They love Eric Newman. All those guys are great. Mm. But but if you're reading those guys, Campbell, Young, yeah. Newman, without Evola, you're missing oh, yeah. a huge chunk. Yeah. You're missing, you're missing, uh, you're missing like the cornerstone that holds it all together. You have to read Evola. Um, and he's kind of giving you like a handbook on how to like reestablish tradition. Uh, and, and, and as you and everyone knows, like the Renaissance itself was, was rebirth as an attempt to like reconnect to like the classical antiquity. I will say about, about the Renaissance. I mean, the, the Renaissance is, is taken nowadays as kind of this very much, uh, an ideal for striving for, but you got to put the Renaissance in its own cultural context as well, because remember the Renaissance is something that led to a lot of, no, directly you can you can really draw a direct thread to a lot of the conventions which led to a materialism and a spiritual uh, degradation because the renaissance obviously it became focused on science it became focused on the body and it it art the art itself became uh, th there was a kind of humanizing effect you know, and, and where man ends up very slowly kind of replacing god you couldn't you, you couldn't really have the french revolution you couldn't really have you know the the enlightenment without the renaissance uh, so there is there is this kind of like churning towards a general you know we got to remember there are macro trends and there are micro trends within that you know so obviously 
there was a rediscovering of classical art and there was a rediscovering of amazing greek art and then but also that was combined with this idea of materialism this idea of you know that the there was maybe an overfocus on anatomy and things like the the workings of the body and it, materialism basically crept in, in 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 terms of astro astro theology and kind of things like that you know god god got shuttered out and so we can there's always this kind of up and down that's happening it's not really ever a linear progression you know and thing is things interesting about humans is we forget things as well we forget we entirely forget things and we lose knowledge completely you know there are huge holes in in, in and then people come back and they say oh this this muslim fellow rediscovered algebra <laughs> you know it's like but was it ever really kind of forgotten you know yeah well it was not prominent in the world and they, they brought it back in this civilization but it's weird you know it, we're constantly going through this this sort of forgetting and remembering you know procedure where you know we are kind of crazy as, as a species. And you've got a younger understood, you know, that the craziness is kind of built, it's kind of baked into the cake. Um, that's where, you know, why, that, that's why technology is never going to be really like straight laced. It's never going to be like controlled, you know, all this talk about AI or regulation or whatever, you know, it's no, no, people are not going to regulate. What, look what happened with the internet, you know, was a flourishing of a very kind of interesting culture that people never seen before. It was a new horizon, a new frontier like America. And then it got kind of colonized. It got kind of claustrophobic and people shut down the interesting parts of it. Uh, regulation took over, you know, and now we're trying to find some kind of new horizon. You know, that this is just the typical human cycle. You've got to, got to recognize where you are in the cycle and, and plan accordingly, I suppose, you know? Well, if it's not know. too difficult of a question, do you, uh how 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 do you think we can like reestablish a connection with tradition while also making something new mm. while also like not just redo i mean fen might be a good example of this yeah, actually yeah. I, uh, I think the thing is that's what you can't help but make something new it could be because you right, are right, new, right you are a new person yeah 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 and you are new and you exist in this time you know this is maybe a, a heideggerian idea i've never read heidegger myself geo's read heidegger talk, talk to geo about heidegger but again you are someone who is you can't help but exist in the time that you're in and you bear i, I think about this quite a lot you know you do bear the weight of uh everything that came before you you know because particularly in this age we've got all this technology you know i can go on wikipedia and i can look up any painter or any writer or any historian now before me and i know about them this wasn't the case for a long time um and with that comes a lot of confusion it comes it becomes like you know there's only so much your brain can really fucking process in my opinion so to, to talk about tradition i think you can look at something that was made 30,000 years ago. You can look at these cave paintings from France. You know, you, everyone's seen and marveled at these wonderful cave paintings from uh, the, you know, what was it, early prehistoric sort of, um, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the particular, you... yeah. Oh, go ahead. I had a question about that though, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there's a documentary by uh, Werner Herzog, Cave of Forgotten yeah, Of course, I, I love yeah. that. I love <laughs> it. And he talks about how these, these, artists were they were looking and they were thinking but they weren't trying to create something that was a replication of reality they were talking in a language of art already you know and that that the thing is that art is a language and painting in particular is a language drawing is a language where you are making marks on a surface and you are kind of there is that intrinsic um there are qualities to making marks on a flat surface that you can't get away from you know 
it's not the same as poetry. It's not the same as music. It's not, it's not speaking about something with your voice. And obviously there are things you can do well in that sphere and there are things you can do poorly. You know, that's why we still value certain pieces of art and a lot of art has been forgotten. A lot of art's been kind of thrown by the wayside. Luckily we're getting the very best of every era, you know, or what has been kind of like the human consensus. What, what has survived, you mean? Well, well it, what has survived and, you know, but I do believe in a way, Astro, that, that human consensus, it does bring, you know, you wouldn't have things like, you know, Michelangelo's David, you know, th- th- there's always a hierarchy to things where we recognize a work of genius. We recognize somebody who was important. Um, doesn't mean you should always kind of play off that person, but it's good that we recognize genius and we've rec- that's that again, like I said about communism, that's what they tried to tear down. They tried right, to kind right. of ignore the fact that, that there were geniuses and people were kind of, born with a potential that was you know i believe it's given by god obviously i believe that certain people they are born with a talent or what you'd call a you know a a purpose in life i was born to be an artist you know and there are other people who are born born to be an artist obviously you can foster that when you're in the world and then when you go back to being a spirit i don't know you know (laughs) you maybe you come back around again and you, you try again a different way but that's, you can't can't talk about that really um but yeah i mean we are kind of cursed in a way by having this whole wellspring of knowledge that we can draw upon but then there's a lot of confusion and lots of crossed wires and lots of noise um but yeah we, we should look at things that are you know i i look at i look at things from nearly every era and i try and think oh what's good about this and what what is that what is touching me in an instinctual way about that you know uh, i don't really listen to the trends of today at all i think it's kind of a it's kind of misplaced honestly and the, the artists that i admire astral like like gustav Klimt, for example gustav Klimt, he was an artist who he's been described in his own day as a man who he had one foot very p- firmly planted in history and in mythology and then the other foot was striding forward fearlessly into modernity so that's kind of what the idea i model myself on is is somebody who's rooted in tradition but he's striding forward fearlessly you know that's uh well that's a good example that's a good example have you seen um helvitian is that how you say his name helvidian alpinists uh work oh, yeah, from yeah pe- yeah I believe he uh, won the second. He, he won, won the second. The second yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's well, called he's, mm. the Wild Hunt. Go ahead. Yes, he, he's interesting, Astro, because he is influenced by uh, particularly Anselm Kiefer, and uh, I can tell you quickly. I, I saw an exhibition by Anselm Kiefer when I was very, I was quite young. I think it was in my early twenties. It was a retrospective exhibition that he did at the uh, Royal Academy in London, and Anselm Kiefer's work very interesting. It, it, it is about. Uh, the overarching theme is about forgetting and it is about how time kind of weathers us and time is this wonderful beautiful thing but it's also this thing which kind of like you know we are living in a constantly decaying and constantly being born uh society our our bodies are like that as well and he he replicates that in his art it's about you know we shouldn't forget, but then our memories are, are tainted. Our memories are idealized. You know, lots of his work is about that. And uh, Helvetian, uh, Al- uh, what's it, Alpinist? Uh, Alpinist, yeah. Yeah, he, his work is very influenced by Kiefer in the sense that he's trying to make these grand uh, statements. The Kiefer's work, it relies a lot on scale and it relies a lot on kind of the layering of materials and the kind of powerful application of paint. 
um, he's not Kiefer himself. He's he's not really trying to um, he's not really trying to make a beautiful painting in the way that Titian would, or you know, or, or Bougereau would, or any any of these artists. No, he's not. He's a contemporary artist, Kiefer, in the in the very real sense of the word, where his art is talking about art. Maybe he's talking about art, and he's talking about civilization and society. Um, you have to, but in that way, he's able to bring out some quite strong emotions. And Galvatian um, Alpinist, I mean, he, he he's, I don't know exactly the other things that he's taken influence on, but, but it's interesting to see somebody, I'll say, make strong statements in uh, what you'd call a contemporary art mould. Um, I do think that his work maybe is a bit too indebted to Kiefer, um, but it's definitely got a lot of, you know, he, he's got, the energy there which is good I, I like i like the energy there definitely um again I, i'm a bit more of a you know I, I would never make something that was like that uh astral because i am too much of you know I, i'm quite a safe um i'm not really this kind of avant-garde figure i'm quite when you look at me really i'm quite a grounded figure and i'm not trying to shock anyone really i'm not trying to you know step outside of established norms again I come from a tradition of uh, more like concept art and more like uh, fantasy art, if anything. You know? Yeah, that's cool. I love that. But I, I yeah. also see you doing recreations of like Monet and Gauguin, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, who, yeah, of course. Were you, do, were you doing those two guys? I think you were doing I Monet. I was doing Monet, Monet, Gauguin. And, oh, you were uh, doing Gauguin. Yeah, Cezanne as well. And but yes, those painters, yes. yeah, those painters interest me at the moment, Astral, because they are painters who understood uh, what you'd call this there's a decorative quality to painting which means that the painter is aware that he's making marks on a surface and he's those marks imply depth and space and in addition to creating a picture of something like you know he's, he's making a picture of a house he's making a picture of water lilies the paint itself and the quality of the marks themselves imply something entirely abstract and that's what is called decorative you know the, the quality of a decorative piece of art that's why abstract painting that's basically the decorative quality that's been taken into an extreme, you know, it, it's lost all um, representational qualities at all. And obviously nowadays you've got painters who they do a very, very illustrative kind of painting where they simply copy something in front of them, you know? Uh, and we, nowadays we have this problem where a lot of people, they're mistaken in believing that simply because something's realistic or simply that something that's depicted in a sort of, semi-real kind of way that means it's traditional i don't think that that's the case at all you know again going back to these these cave paintings these, these drawings that they did in prehistoric times these were not trying to be uh, a representation necessarily of that you know they had a, a representational quality but they were also stylized and they were imaginative as well you know and obviously the renaissance and art you know pe people love the renaissance but those figures that michelangelo depicted and those you know, compositions that Titian did, they were designed to decorate uh, palaces for dukes and kings, you know, that they, they were not necessarily just a, a cold, uh, you know, they were not a timid depiction of reality. Um, and I think if painting and drawing is ever to get anywhere in this world, we do have to go beyond, you know, simply depicting something as it is. Um, You've got to be larger than life, you know, and sculpture as well. That's why Fen again resonates with people, you know. Well, um, yeah, I always, 
I'm not sure if I've actually said this much on my Mm. podcast, but it's part of my whole perspective is that realism is itself a sign of decline. It's realism is a late stage. I mean, I think this is in Spengler, actually. Mm. Uh, It's a it's a late stage art movement that kind of reflects the materialist and mechanistic worldview that the culture has at the time. Certainly, Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's an optical thing as well. Like, as science evolved and as people understood the workings of how light hit the iris and how how we understood things in sort of this scientific way, then people thought, oh, you know, I'm going to create recreate the effects of light. I'm going to paint like a camera paints. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to yeah. make things that look very real and they would trick you into thinking they're real. And again, that's impressive. It's interesting, actually, because a lot of people, they, they dab on this guy on Twitter, the cultural tutor account. They say that he makes sort of like, you know, it's a bit coley. But he did an interesting thread recently. Talking Wait, is about he called, you mean the cultural critic? Cultural tutor, I think he's called. Yeah, I don't there, know. There, there's a lot of these accounts that they, they yeah. talk about, you know, like uh, Renaissance, Baroque sculpture, Renaissance sculpture. Okay. They give you kind of like tidbits of information. Okay. Uh, they get a lot of following from it. But he was saying recently that, there was a particular trend in certain eras, you know, in the uh, the late Baroque era, where they would try and replicate the qualities of something as a kind of a trompe l'oeil thing, where they would say, oh, this is, I've carved this marble to look like a rope or to look like lace or something. And it becomes this very gimmicky thing where you're, you've lost the quality of marble and you've actually, you know, you've, you're, tr- you're too interested in tricking the viewer into thinking that this, and then you're too interested in showing off your own kind of like, it, it's a, it's a very prideful thing. Um, you've even lost the kind of idea of telling a story at that point. You're more, you're more about, Oh, this, look, look at how, uh, how much flair I can bring to this, this craftsmanship of mine, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the, the term <laughs> I like to use, people do. Tell me, tell me if you agree with this. Um, I like to say that in this in this uh, state, art becomes like a decoration, and, mm. and and this is like decorative. It's not really artistic, although there is skill required, obviously. Well, I think I think decorative in the sense that I understand it at the moment, it it means something different. De- decorative to me, and you're talking about painting particularly, means that there's an abstract quality to it, whereas decorative i think you're talking about it in the sense of it becomes this kind of like um superfluous or ex- it's, yeah, ex- excessive exactly, yeah. yeah that's right um because people like arthur dow arthur dow was an art teacher in the in the 1920s and he was very influenced by japanese prints and japanese prints uh they are uh things that understand the quality of a decorative uh decorative line or a decorative form know something that is abstract basically so these are not trying to you know you look at any japanese art or chinese art they're not trying to replicate reality beyond the very much like they're talking about reality in a certain language um but they also recognize that what they're doing is a piece of ink or a mark on a piece of paper you know i think we lost that quality in art when we decided that you know everything split off there was you know there was extreme abstract art which was just colors and you know color fields and crazy splashes and all kinds of things where it was just kind of celebrating paint and then it also turned into photorealism where you know i I joke on twitter you know there's a you you can buy like a 
a photorealistic charcoal portrait of the guy from Piggy Blinders or something, you know, and yeah. people think, oh, wow, that's so that's yeah. so impressive, how much skill. But you basically become like a human sort of photocopier at that point, you know. So art has lost that uh, dialogue between a decorative and a representational quality, which the best art had, um, and we don't really understand that anymore. It has become quite obscured, Um and I learned this as well. I did learn this from uh, a fellow called Paul Rhodes, who uh, was taught by certain people um, from the, you know, it was taught in the in the seventies from people who understood the art tradition of painting from the twenties and from the thirties, you know. So there, there are certain people. There are very few people still alive at the moment who have that um, traditional teaching method that's been you know handed down from from various people and obviously it, it's gone through various stages and well you know, can i ask schools what, what the hell are these kids learning in art school now mm, i mean are mm. they learning these traditional methods and things like that well art school is not i think that's what art school as as you talk about it is not anything to do with art anymore and yeah that's what i hear has, that's what i yeah, hear yeah i mean i i you know i feel kind of like sick of saying this but you know I went to Chelsea uh, School of Art um, and the whole time I was basically expecting somebody to teach me to draw. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it sounds absurd when you say it. Like it, yeah. it almost feels embarrassing. It feels very embarrassing to even kind of mention that, you know, because I'm just like, how could I have been so, so silly? Um, I wanted to be an illustrator. I wanted to be uh, somebody who did album covers for bands. And I did do that for, for several years, but that was actually in spite of the uh, the rubbish that they they put uh. me through in uh, in art school you know i did that independently um and that's got its own problems obviously but you know, the thing that's was that these art institutions that we have in england they were once something um that did have a shred of that tradition and they did have uh, craftsmen and draftsmen who were informed by a grand chain of tradition um, but gradually it, it kind of degraded and as things do it slipped into entropy and there, there were certain influences that came in you know people got kind of entranced by one aspect of art or another aspect of art and they made that the whole thing and gradually it just kind of dissolved and it, and it became you know, the, the modernists a lot of people talk about the modernists as being like you know it, it kind of caused the decline of art but the modernists that they didn't you know, that was not the goal of the modernist project in art at all the goal of the modernist project really was to try and step away from the academy and because the academy had become this very boring formulaic thing as, as i said earlier but it's very very complicated and i think that we're gonna be spending basically the next 20 years teaching people what went wrong um and how to get out of it uh, well this is this is what a parallel institution is mm, right like yeah yeah you go to art school, no one ever teaches you to draw. Mm. Uh, so you have to you have to now and then you have to do it on your own. You're on your own. Mm. Yeah. And that's why we need to foster a community of artists. Uh, that's, and that's absolutely right. Yeah. My opinion is that we already have we have enough theory. I mean, I'm assuming. Correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, one of the things they're teaching you in art school is bullshit theory. Is, is that right? Well, it, it's weird, Astro, because. A lot of the younger kids, I mean, I'm talking about when I went in uh, maybe 20, 2010 or 2009, um, you go in there and you're given a little kind of wall space or something. And then you're given a brief, which is basically printed out on a piece of paper. And it's very loose and it's very kind of, um, you know, it's quite abstract. 
and it just teaches you that they don't teach you anything but they, it tells you that you need to simply explore certain ideas or yeah. certain concepts you know yeah. and I, I hate this idea of exploring because a young man i'll tell you Astro, the, the last thing a young man needs to fucking do is explore anything. it's a really <laughs> bad idea because what is a young man going to explore? He's going to go towards the dirtiest, filthiest, sexiest, most exciting thing he can, and he's going to just indulge in that like a fucking maniac, you know. Yeah. A young man needs to be guided. He doesn't yes. Need to be told to explore direction. You know? He needs to be told that there are certain things where you can dip your fingers in, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's a bit, you know, okay, that that's the extreme here." But this is the root, or this is the anchor that you really, you know, you you grab yourself by you don't have a bunch of kids going in these schools and they said, right, this is how you, you know, this is, this is figure drawing, you know, this is composition. This is an abstract, uh, you know, a way to understand space in a, in a picture, you know, none of that at all because after all, these people who are in college or they're in art school now, they are not talented draftsmen themselves. And they yeah. are actually sadly um, kind of the off casts of the cultural explosion of the seventies where everybody bloody, you know, they, these are boomers. I was, I was taught by somebody who was maybe in his, in his mid fifties. Um, and he would have been, you know, understood somebody who went through pop art, abstract expressionism kind of thing when he was, you know, when he was a bit younger. Um, and, it's a dirty word. It's, it's, it's really a dirty word saying that you need to draw, you need to, you know, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's criminal. Honestly, when, when I, when I think about it, when I think that what happened to me, you know, or really, really what didn't happen to me in terms of, you know, nobody came up to me and said, Oh, you're very clearly a talented young man who's able to draw uh, quite in a quite skilled way here's how to um uh enhance your abilities you know <laughs> because these people can't they couldn't enhance it can't enhance anyone but i view this as a duty now astro unfortunately it is a moral duty that we have to find young men young women you know the girls are actually a lot you know a lot more on it in terms of you know understanding painting nowadays really we've got to find these people i've got to say look you have a, a latent ability you have a skill here's how you foster it and here's how you make it um, you know you make it work um it's not going to be easy
All right, Matthew. Well, listen, that was a great, a great talk. Um, there's a lot of stuff me and you have wanted to get to, have, have wanted to get to. I, I think we've been talking about doing this for like six months. Oh, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad it finally happened. And uh, uh, I, I think we've given the listener a really good idea on like what to be thinking about, you know, mm. as they're trying to create. But um, uh, so we got, we're going to we're going to wind down. I have to get going. You have to get going. But one mm. of the things that me and you originally connected on was music. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I there's no category for music right now. But, you know, something that I hear and tell me if you think this yourself or if you've heard other people say it. Something I hear when we talk about like, oh, we got to take over or, or we're going to win someday. Someday mm-hmm. our, our side's going to win. And uh, one of the main things I hear is like, well, if you guys really want to win, if you really want to take over the culture, mm. you need to have music. You need to do it through music because that generates a scene and that puts ideas in people's head and that like draws more people in. Mm-hmm. And and just like we were talking about everything else in culture, like like there's just a dearth of of good heartfelt music out coming out now and like for the longest time for me i feel like heavy metal was like the last bastion of like oh yeah innovation (laughs) and creativity and heart and i worry that even heavy metal has finally like petered out at this point i mean well i'll tell you me me and geo you know we we talk uh semi-regularly about sort of what have you been listening to lately and you know just because obviously we both come from uh and i assume you you do as well like there was the point where in a young man's life where he starts sort of looking for the heaviest fucking music he can find yeah. you know? it's like you're i never grew, i never grew out of that phase <laughs> i never grew out of that phase man. well i mean the thing is he- heaviness and power I, th- I think heaviness is kind of like uh analogous to maybe a kind of a masculine power in music um, that's right but then again, I've realized that as I've kind of grown a bit old, Astrid, like to the last maybe 15 years of my life, that heaviness comes from different places. It doesn't really come necessarily come from just having like very loud, distorted music. Like first time I heard uh, certain house music, I was like, this is the heaviest thing I've oh, ever wow. heard because of the context I was hearing it in. And it was being played on vinyl. It was playing being played in a warehouse, which was full of smoke. And it was illegal to be there. And it was just sort of violently sexy music that was just smashing me you know it it was really just kind of touching my soul um in ways that metal was not able to do obviously metal has its own sort of qualities in well i I wouldn't call metal metal. sexy for the most part no no it it can be sometimes but yeah it's metal is is i say this a geo quite a lot i say you know metal is part of the it, it's a place where you can express certain masculine uh, energies, certain masculine spiritual qualities uh, in an unashamed way. Uh, it's like, to me, it is generally like war songs and battle yeah, songs man. and heroic poetry that was, um, you know, the way that Homeric uh, poetry was transmitted between uh, generations, you know, talking about our victories and our states of mind. You know, a, lot, a lot of that stuff, it wasn't necessarily just about a cold historical document of what happened it was about like the feeling of things you know it was about like you know it, it was about the poetry and metal does at its best metal does have that obviously yeah people can say metal is it, it's uh it's got this kind of chud aspect to it where it's kind of like it's kind of oh we lost you you're you're, you're breaking up a little bit hello 
Hey, okay. So the last thing oh, you sorry. said was metal has this chud. That's all right. Sorry. Mm. Metal has this chud aspect to it. <laughs> well, as, as I was saying there, metal, it does tend to be kind of in its worst form, its most degraded form. I think the thing about metal is astral, like you need a guy with somewhat of an intellect, I believe, to bring a metal band to its fullest potential. And that's why I talk particularly about certain bands. Like me and Gio, we talk about Nevermore. Nevermore is one of his favorite bands. And I talk a lot about ISIS, about ISIS, uh, not the terrorist group. <laughs> <laughs> metal band ISIS that was a progressive metal band. in uh, they, they were mainly operational from the late 90s till the mid uh, 2000s um, or 2010 or so. And they were a band who combined a, a very elegant, intellectual, uh, spiritual almost quality with a power and a heaviness and a kind of a darkness um, that comes again. They, they've got so many sort of disparate influences. Metal is at its best, I believe, Astral, when uh, people bring in disparate influences from other genres uh, like shoegaze music and uh, you know progressive rock and uh, synth music and all sorts of things. You know, I think metal is it's strong enough it's able to absorb those sort of syntheses and absorb them in, in a ways which make it stronger and give it more depth and, and sort of nuance you know because if anything people kind of characterize metal as as a genre which is lacking nuance you know yeah you think of bands yeah. like pantera you know pantera is actually quite a, you know when you think about the actual musical construction of the songs you know they are quite a nuanced group they have the softer passages and they do have a bit more reflective passages but i fucking love them there man. is this stereotype yeah there's a stereotype of pantera as this band which is just like a sort of you know a yokel a yokel chud music which is just one step away from white supremacy you know um well it's funny uh because we were talking about second wave black metal and i think second wave black mm. metal has all the elements that you have there that you're talking about like uh one mm. of the things they said is they're they're very conscientiously in reaction to death metal and death metal yes. um oh, yes. yeah, very so. much is brutish and kind of stupid uh, not that i don't mm. i mean death is one of my favorite bands and i think there's some other death metal bands that are great but even like even like the band death which i i love um they have this like genius front man who who arranges all the songs and he plays these great riffs and these great solos and he writes all the lyrics. Rest in peace, Chuck. Yes. Rest in peace. And I all all due respect to him, but mm. he's not exactly like the inspired, disturbed genius that somebody like I would say uh, Varg is. Varg is like mm. touched. He's touched and he's like. You know, he doesn't have the music. This is the thing about a guy like Chuck, which, again, like it sounds like I'm putting him down as one of my favorite bands. Oh, no, of course. No, no. One of my favorite bands. But but his uh, he's got the technical skill, but he doesn't Mm. really have the inspiration, in my opinion, where somebody like Varg, like doesn't really have the technical skill. He can't really play his instruments that well. He Mm. doesn't Mm. write the best lyrics, but he's like. And his song arrangements well, it, aren't like terribly complicated than, like Chuck's mm, are. Go ahead. Mm, mm. No, no. What what you're you saying? Get my is point it, though. It yeah. Becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Exactly. Almost, exactly. Where, yeah. Yeah. It's go, interesting, go. you know. Yeah, yeah. Go I've go. I've talked about this forever. You know, it uh, there is this kind of comparison to maybe this quality of the Dionysian versus the Apollonian in in metal, where you've got certain guys, like you said, that they're very technically competent and they're interested in the kind of mastery of the instrument and you know having this kind of very structured songwriting whereas then you have someone like Varg who's you know it comes from a very primal place it comes from somewhere which is kind of like uh 
a spiritual place almost. And I think the best bands, again, the, 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 there are there are moments where that becomes beautifully uh, balanced in certain bands where you have the ferocity and you have the sort of primal beast, your energy, but you also have it, it's, it's tempered and it's kind of uh, controlled like, like uh, that sort of Hindu metaphor of a, a charioteer controlling the, the wild horses that he's, you know, it's the, it's the intellect is controlling the passions, basically. Um, there's again, you can have, you know, sometimes it goes out of control. Sometimes, it, you know, and I, I like music, which feels like it's almost on the precipice of kind of going out of control, Yeah, but it's, you know, like one of my favorite bands is Agalok as well. Ag Agalok is a band. I, I've which, seen again, them live three times, man. They're one of my favorite yeah, bands Yeah, you too. mentioned this to me on Twitter. Oh, did yeah, I? I mean, that okay. Must have been, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're a band who's, unfortunately, they're not uh, a unit anymore, you know, that they had sort of this, uh, what was it? I mean, it is political differences, unfortunately, between the frontman, uh, John Haum, and uh, the guitarist. You know, they are... Uh, you know, they, they had these kind of ir irreconceivable differences, uh, which is very sad, you know, because they were beautiful. You know, the, the songwriting that they did together was just so beautiful. And I it, know. It did have this pagan, you know, it fully believed in itself. And I think that that's something that metal is so good at, Astro, you know, like nowadays we live in this world, right? I'll say this, you know, we live in a world which is, it, it's shameful and it's kind of, uh, it's anathema almost to have strong, passionate, romantic emotions about something and be seriously kind of like you know i'm serious about this this is a remove me to tears kind of thing you know you have to be removed you have to be like oh you know let irony kind of like oh i'm too good you know i'm too cool for school kind of thing i'm never going to let them see me sweat i'm never going to let them see me get angry about something or oh, you mad bro you know it's kind of you mad bro you're like oh you can't get mad about anything you know yeah i know a girl left you or oh, you can't show like any kind of fucking you know emotion one brain you've got to be stone cold kind of thing you know you know what i'm talking about but in metal men are fully ideally that they're fully allowed to you know talk about passions and rom romantic emotions and like powerful feelings that just you know completely uh flow through your your spirit you know um well yeah that's why i think uh black metal is like an emo genre mm. really mm. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, course. and the other thing, yeah. you know, not to I don't mean to keep theory selling and name dropping here, but another thing Nietzsche talks about in The Birth of Tragedy, which, yeah, I'll mm. just say this. If there's one book you're going to read about art and aesthetics, it should be that book. That's the most important mm. one, in my mm. opinion. And that was an uh, earlier book by Nietzsche, right? I think that, it was, his, was even his, his earlier works. First or second. I think it was his first major work. Yeah. yeah, his first major work for sure. But in mm. that, he talks about uh, how how music can uh, without lyrics. So music mm. without lyrics, just the sound, uh, is better at uh, 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 encapsulating the full range of human emotions than any visual or literary art could possibly be. And this is this is part mm. of the German idealist tradition. This is they've kind of always said this, and that in in the mm. Birth of Tragedy, Nietzsche even says like even if you have a piece that sounds a certain way, and the and the mm. composer titles it like you know spring birds singing in the springtime or something he says even naming yeah. it that already detracts from it it already takes away like yeah. you, you can't associate it with and uh the thing about about music especially music without lyrics although you can even sort of like you know i do this a lot now 
Like you can even sort of mm. like sort of like tune the lyrics out and the singing just becomes like part of the sound. It becomes part of the wall of sound and it like is able to mm. evoke or to mimic or to 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 somehow uh, uh, range across your emotions Absolutely. in such a way that that a book never can or a painting never can. So I do think that that's the one element that we are missing is is music by not having people making music that somehow like reconnects us to this part of ourselves mm -hmm. that's being neglected by the modern society. Uh, we're missing a piece of the pie. We may be missing the most important piece of the pie. And for me, you know, metal is not the only kind of music I listen to, but um, it's certainly the only music uh, that that sort of speaks to the part of me that nothing else speaks to. And it's not even really about mm. the lyrics for the most part. It's it's about the the vibe. Yeah. And so, I think I, mean, I think so, we there's need there's that so many vibe. things there. I mean, yeah. There's so many things that I, I got to just say really fast like uh in terms of the you know the current sort of cultural scene that we're in the problem is astral that a lot of people they are still too self-conscious of the fact that they are in this yeah, i know oriented or yes. basically you know you can't again it's showing too much of yourself if you write a song which is extremely passionate about something you know you, you you can't paste ideology ideology becomes a problem as soon as it enters a room and ideology obviously it is something that is unavoidable nowadays in some ways and it is kind of you know, there's going to be a political subtext that's going to be read into nearly every sort of creative act or whatever that is out of your control but it's the fear of making something honest which is kind of People second guess themselves nowadays. That's right. Young men, particularly, they're very self-conscious, and they second guess themselves, and they're, they're actually worried about making something which might be viewed as, "Oh, you fucking, you, you know, you're cucking, bro. Your emotions are showing, or whatever." You know, like so. The thing about music is, again, music is a moment where, and particularly recorded music, there's a certain fleeting moment in recorded music where you press that button, and somebody, and some emotion comes out of a person, and if it's in tune with their instrument and their with their technical skill, then you get something that is truly magical, and it's captured for all time. You know, and music—it's it, the most powerful spell. It's the most powerful kind of artifact it's a magical artifact i view these tracks as genuinely they're a magical artifact you can be affected by those at any time if it's a good recording if it's a good song a good band you know you know and we don't really understand the gravity i think of recorded music because unfortunately again that became democratized and that became turned into this kind of like you know everybody's got access to recording yourself on garage band nowadays and producers aren't really taken seriously anymore unless they're working for taylor swift or something you know uh, but obviously, it, ideally, you know, you, you look at the 80s, you look at the 90s, actually, I'm sure a lot of the music you like, like Nine Inch Nails, for example, yeah. Trent Reznor as a producer, Trent Reznor is extremely, you know, he's obviously understood as a, as an artist, as a performer, but as a producer, he's an expert uh director and producer of, of records, you know, he made Marilyn Manson sound the way Marilyn Manson did. And Marilyn Manson was chasing those those sounds for years after Trent Reznor and him had a spat, you know. So it's it's getting that, that sort of quality of, you know, again, capturing something magical, you know, not viewing music as this disposable thing where it's like, oh, you know, AI is writing music these days. That's, you know, that's a fucking, it's, it's nothing. But there was obviously a cultural moment where 
bands were making songs and the bands were, you know, it was a serious, it was, it was something that was taken quite seriously. You know, you went into a studio, you rehearsed as well as you could, and then you put down the best music you could, you know, um, that, that to me seems like something I do kind of lament not really happening much anymore. Yeah. I don't know if you, you have much experience with, you know, sort of people in their, in their teens and their twenties, you know, people wanted to be in a band. I was in a band, you know, it <laughs> was, it, it was all to... anyone did you know, for like generations yeah. and now nobody yeah. does it. <laughs> you know, uh, Trent Reznor. Mm. Oh yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. Continue. No, he's a great example. Uh, he's another guy like mm. Varg. If you really listen to the music, mm. Trent Reznor is not the best lyricist. He's not the most skilled oh, no. guitarist. He's not, not the best musician. Music. But it, it, it's the same thing. Nothing. He's got the passion, it's his overall vision. Yeah, his overall vision. And it 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 it, oh, it transcends all of that. And he makes better music because, like, the feeling I get from listening to Downward Spiral is just there's nothing mm. to compare to it. Nothing oh. compares to it. Yeah, I, I'll tell uh, you that's right. I heard I heard a damn spiral when I was uh, sixteen years old. Yeah, and I was like, "What on earth is this?" I was like, <laughs> "This is the most disturbed thing I've ever heard in my life." I don't know how a man can reach because I was very, quite naive and I had not had you know terrible experiences with women, with drugs, with all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. I had not. I was not able to understand where he was coming from. But obviously, as you grow up, you realize, oh God, this is where he was. This is where he was coming from. This is where these songs came from. But it's remarkable how a man who was obviously in in this particularly strung out sort of state, he was still able to put together such a self reflective and such an inventive collection yeah. of songs. You know, that speaks to his genius, really. And well, one of the things people, I like. To... like that, it... mm. Go ahead. If people like that they stop making music, Astral, they'll die. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. they, they live on they live on it's the same with artists, you know. If you stop a man from painting or a guitarist from playing guitar, he's gonna die. So that's well that's, uh... that's the thing, man. That's the, that's the problem. That's why we need to do what we're doing. Because mm. a fate worse than death for for a <laughs> lion or for a polar bear or for any predator, it's much yeah. more torturous to put them in a cell. Than it is to kill. Oh, absolutely! They're yeah, better yeah, off absolutely. dead. That's and that's, so, that's for hell. a man who can't, you know, uh, flex his artistic, uh, you know, muscles, or whatever it is, create, mm. explore space, uh, whatever it is, mm. uh, it, you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be an artist necessarily. Uh, being an explorer, a, you know, uh, a, a, an avid outdoorsman, or somebody who's dedicates their life to the military, or something like that. But they need a project. They need something oh, sure, yeah. greater than themselves that they can work on forever, you know, or 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 it's it's death. So it's the same for culture, though. It's the same mm -hmm. for culture. If your culture doesn't have a flourishing art scene, it's it's the same as taking a predator and putting you're, it in a, in a zoo. Yeah, you're, you're, it's so that's such a powerful uh, analogy, Astro, honestly, like the because it's interesting. It's comparable now, right, to having tigers and bears and lions that are born in captivity we're, we're we're having a whole generation now i don't know if you saw there was an article recently where people on tiktok were saying the army is uh is awful right you've seen that that very recently sort of a topical thing where there's <clears throat> there's a tiktok trend where people are warning teenagers basically warning people to not join the army because yeah. they're in the army and they think it's awful and it's comparable to this idea of that we've got this whole generation of lions, tigers, and bears that are, that are born in captivity. They don't know what 
being a wild creature is like. They're given their food every day. They're given their slot, which is thrown in, and they're given a little space to roam. And they say, "Oh, this is it. This is all you are." But you, it's not all you are at all. You know, <laughs> like Jonathan Bowden would, he would, he would be raging against this and be raging against this. You know, like you're born to fucking, uh, you know, roam the fucking uh, roam the pride lands. You know, and you're you're born yeah. to something far greater and far more grand than uh, well yeah you know we I, have a certain number of artists and, and we have to cultivate them that's all yeah and this society current current day wants to stifle them and snuff them out mm. i love the vet i love that them. yeah absolutely you brought up epic greek poetry in light of uh metal because the mm. thing, and I, and I, and how I said it, uh, music like tra- traverses the full range of human emotions. The thing, I, the reason why I love the Iliad, and this is, this is, this is like what we need to get back. This is why ideology has mm. to go out the window. You can't use your art to express your political views. No, no. I love how the Iliad is both a celebration and a lament for warfare mm. at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. and uh it's you so know, tragic you know it, it, it yeah. it's incredibly tragic but that's where a lot of the beauty i suppose comes from you know like achilles and patroclus this idea that something you love is inevitably going to be smashed and destroyed but there's a there's a poetic beauty to that uh you know what there's a there's a killing joke lyric which remember geordie uh geordie from killing joke died recently rest in peace i don't know that band they say uh, killing joke you know that they had a famous song in the 80s called love like blood and one of the lyrics that Jazz said in that song was uh, "strength and beauty destined to decay." Yeah, you know? <laughs> and that is sort of there is a certain very poetic beauty. And Mishima, obviously, that that speaks to me of what Mishima was talking about. There is the idea of the decay of the angel, you know, something which is born to be beautiful and born to be transcendent, which is sort of trapped in this world, which is, you know, it, it loses its uh, loses sense of its station, loses sense of its tradition, and it inevitably kind of spirals into this madness you know um that's that's the subject for music for poetry for art for, for anything it's beautiful to me well i hope i hope i hope we start seeing it come out i hope we start seeing people mm. uh making music listen i have to go people need to feel deeply they need to feel deeply that's, that's the first saying. step don't that's be afraid to step. feel yeah well look i love your oh, art man. we didn't well I, I did want to ask one last question that's hmm. so off topic uh i love your art we didn't get to talk about it as much as I want to talk about your particular oh, no, work it's, more. So we'll link you. I'll link you on Twitter. Yeah. And it's in mm. man's world. Do you remember which issue of man's world it was in? Or is it in oh, several of he's, them? He's, he's so prolific. I'm not sure. But I mean, there's, there's a few pictures of mine in man's world, but and if you want to see my art, uh, I'll be posting a lot more in the new year in 2024. Okay. There a, we go. A workshop. I have an art studio sort of workshop starting in uh, next year. Perfect. So Perfect. simply, so- uh, Matthew Stoat on Twitter. Uh, you can, I'm sure it's linked in the in the description or whatever. So that's where you'll find me primarily. I do have a Telegram as well, but it's just kind of a just kind of a mirror of the Twitter, really. Uh, I'm quite minimal with uh, social media and stuff like that, man. But yeah, yeah. Well, people got to check you out. Um, your at on Twitter is Matthew the Stoat, mm-hmm. and uh, Stoat. we also retweet him a lot on Passage press so if you follow at passage press mm-hmm. you're sure to see his work uh so this and is I'll just t- so just so really fast yeah, uh, the, the the passage the passage prize uh deadline is actually been extended to uh to march this time so i, I did talk oh, to yeah. and said people have got a, a bit more time to actually make work for a uh, passage prize so um march uh early march is when you've got to submit your uh 
thing surpasses price. Uh, and obviously, I'll be I'll be looking at everything uh, over the course of a, a month or so. Um, make make things from the heart and make things that are considerate of the brief. You know, I, I definitely will be taking into consideration people who look at the brief and they they actually read the brief. You know. Uh, I'd rather you made work rather than uh, made uh, use of work that you've already created. But obviously, if you have work that, that's already been waiting in the wings, then, you know, but remember, we're creating an art object here. We're creating a book and uh, Passage Prize has always kind of been creating it. it. It's always been about creating physical objects which are you know, able to be, uh, they step outside of the realms of simply being scrolled past on Twitter, you know. So think about your work in terms of how it's going to appear in a, in a lovely book, basically. Um, that's well said well said all right man so last question totally irrelevant to hmm. everything but what what yeah, were the yeah, yeah. political differences between the singer and the guitarist of agalach i didn't read about this oh man there's a whole debacle about that so basically I've never um, heard this yeah this is crazy man if you if you if you look it up i don't want to i don't want to sort of paint a you know a, a story here because obviously they're, they're complex sort of people um let's look up the name of the the guitarist really fast because it's um you haven't heard this band hallow braid have you i've heard of them not not heard their music well, just, the... just really fast so you mm. yeah, oh, yeah, did yeah. you go ahead go ahead so uh, the, the agalock debacle basically was so you got john holm john holm or john Halm. i can't remember how you pronounce his name john, john holm uh, and don anderson is the guitarist and they basically met uh, very early on in the band. They're the only two sort of consistent members of the band. Um, and Don Anderson basically is uh, a sort of uh, lefty oriented uh, academic kind of guy. They're both quite nerdy guys. I think John oh, yeah. and Don, oh, they're yeah. both quite nerdy guys. Right. Then, and, and John, obviously he, uh, he started the band. So John Helm, he started Agalock and he was uh, the main vocalist, guitarist and the drummer uh, for the majority of all their albums. Um, he still played drums, I believe, even on, even on the, yeah, even the second album. I see he, he got someone to play drums later on, but he, he was primarily a drummer and his drums are very interesting. Uh, but as the band progressed, obviously it was mainly held down by the songwriting sort of uh, chops of, John Halm and Don Anderson basically working together. Uh, they would take influences from various things. You know, early albums are very influenced by goth music and stuff like Fields of the Nephilim, you know, uh, and later albums, they're more sort of cinematic, more influenced by sort of film music. And then as the band kind of went on, they did live shows and they did sort of, you know, the live aspects of the band, as you, you've seen them live three times, but they never really considered the band to be necessarily like a band which thrived in a live environment. Um, and they made, uh, I believe it was five albums together. And then later on, after the last album was made, the last album was a bit a bit of a tricky album for them, uh, Serpent and the Sphere, which I believe is, is a very good album. But I greatly Agalog enjoyed sort of, it. Uh, I greatly enjoyed yeah, it. I think it's a fantastic album. A lot of Agalog's sort of aficionados don't really rate the album too much, but you, I think you're it's right. amazing. I mean, That is true. Yeah, it's... It, but then the thing is that they released the mantle as a second album, and then they were trying to match up to the mantle the whole time. And you know that's it's not easy; it's an easy uh, watermark to match up to. Uh, but again, I I think Seth and the Sphere is a, is a great album. But after that album, obviously there was a bit of turmoil in the band. I believe it was related to people. You know, Don Anderson was a professor, and he was sort of you know he was balancing a family and academic career 
and uh, the idea of uh, you know is this band gonna can kind of be my life now because being in a band is, is very difficult and it's very complex uh, it ruins your schedules it ruins your life basically for for many months of the year if you're a touring band uh, and then if you're a recording band then how are you going to make money because albums do not really make you money in the, the recent decade and then obviously they they had certain political differences john uh, was more of a, a poll you say he was more of a poll cell i suppose and he because he he brought a lot of the pagan kind of aspects of that uh in those spheres you're very very close to uh, sort of kooky white supremacy kind of things where they talk about nordic races and kind of stuff like that not to say that stuff is entirely retarded but it, it, it's often kind of you know it's kind of a pulsar mindset basically I'll, I'll say and and john basically was uh caught on on facebook he i believe that the, the exact quote was he he, he called facebook a juden book <laughs> so he was making a reference to mark zuckerberg's um particular right. ethnic background right and he said oh you can't post certain things on juden book and then that caused like in the metal scene obviously you know you've got lots of anarchists lots of lefties and uh it, it caused a kind of a blow up and then they said oh john john halm has uh dropped his spaghetti basically on on facebook by uh, mentioning uh the uh the people who uh, the chosen people basically I'm and it, so, kind of, it kind of betrayed him as like a pagan like pole cell I'm and then so don, don anderson <laughs> yeah no it, it was it was in like 2016 i believe it was, yeah. it was kind of around i think the trump phenomenon and and there are still articles about this online and then don anderson basically was like oh okay i i'm you know i have uh you know you're basically spilling your spaghetti john i don't want to like associate with you anymore uh. and the band kind of officially like because don anderson to get when you're a professor you've got to understand obviously in, in an academic setting right, right. You tell you about this you've got people around you who are clearly like you know if you even mention right Burzum, if you even mention anything related to you know pagan uh, you know black sun whatever because i know for a fact that i know sure that john helm he's, he's looked at all this sort of stuff and he's that's the natural road that being kind of a larp pagan kind of bleeds you down yeah you do associate with that that kind of sort of white supremacist thing it's, you know it's not it's not a big deal really to me it's kind of silly but and then and i believe that that did cause kind of a bit of a of a rift between them and they decided you know we, we're not they um, they do communicate now i believe I, I just don't think i think i think that 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 sort of was too much of a yeah you know there were diverging paths as it was and then john obviously spilled his spaghetti and, uh, and it was, that's crazy it was over really it seems yeah, like such a yeah. little thing just yeah, call yeah, it it's silly when you look back on book yeah. is such a little thing Udenbook, yeah but i yeah. can also see how the guitarist <laughs> thinks he's been compromised by that you know and i can also see the yeah, scene yeah. you know the problem is it's like the 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 second wave black metal sort of copycat scene which came along in the 2010s mm -hmm. in america which is when when they were operating and that band wolves in the yeah. throne room have you listened to them oh yeah yeah they're, no, they're so they're, fucking good they're an interesting band man because i mean that, those guys are basically i think they're, they're two brothers right and they live yeah. on a sort of a semi uh off the grid yeah in, uh, in oregon i think thing, yeah. Right? yeah yeah super interesting because obviously there are guys from our spheres who uh, they're doing quite similar things to what those guys are doing now, which is, you know, but it's, it's done in a way because you know, we, we got to make families and there's this kind of, you know, blood and soil kind of thing behind it, but they did it in an anarchist kind of, uh, right. you know, it's interesting because there's a weird, there's, there's a weird horseshoe there, isn't there? Where people think returning to the land and this idea of like 
you know, basically being a farmer again, it, it, it comes from the left and it comes from the far right as well. No, yeah, not to not to be too simplified. Well, the problem is, is that the lefties and this is what I was saying about the black metal scene, like the lefties mm. infiltrate it and they fuck the whole thing up and they ruin it. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, they you know, I remember I went to. Uh, I talked about this on a different episode. Uh, the Imperium Press guys were on, but I went to an mm. Agalot show in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, one tour that I saw them on, remember they did that Dr. Faustus song? It was like a, a, a an oh EP. sure yeah, they did the yeah. Faustian echoes. It was it was called Faustian yeah. echoes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a quite a late a quite a late uh, EP they did. Yeah. Well, I saw them. They toured twenty twelve when that came out, yeah. and then they t and then the next time I saw them, I saw them twice on the uh, Serpent in the Sphere tour, and I remember, mm -hmm. man, a lot of the people in the crowds were like, "Yeah, I didn't love this. I don't love this album." <laughs> Like a lot, like that's mm. that was what the chatter after the show was, and I remember just being like, "What? Right, this, right. I love Talking this about album. The serpent, and the, serpent and the spear, right?" Yeah, and I was like, "No, this is great, mm. man. This is mm. awesome." No, I, I but thought it was fantastic. I don't know what why they're why yeah, they're... yeah. But, uh, but I the reason I bring this up though is because the mm. show in Brooklyn was all like lefty black metal oh, fans, yeah. and they were yeah. just the yeah. most intolerable people to be around i mean me and my friend it's were like so fucking weird yeah. right? it's like how did you think i'm, I'm sorry yeah but how did you think right you've got a band right yeah. the, the first album they made is called pale folklore yeah. like what the fuck are you on when you think this band is like in any way sympathetic i mean they come from portland right they come from portland oregon and that's yep. obviously that's a hotbed of you know but lefty doesn't mean you know, yeah i mean it's crazy that they they latched onto this band and they thought that john's you know, views were going to be some way in line with them. You know, this guy's talking about like fucking ancient ghosts right. and spirits and fucking his blood, like casting across the landscape. You know, it's like that this album. Is, this is Return to Tradition as a fucking band. You know, yeah, that's the song, uh, The Shadow of Our Pale Companion, I think. Right? Yeah. That yeah, is like right. one of the best songs of all time. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It, it's an absolute masterpiece. I tell you, Astral, <laughs> I used to, I used to, I had a period a couple of years ago when I was, you know, quite quite uh mentally troubled i would i would lay down every evening for about a week or so and i just listened to that whole album in the dark with my eyes yeah. shut before i went to sleep and the whole album I mean, it is i believe john he envisioned it as uh you take a walk uh from portland uh up to uh, i don't know the geography of, of uh, is, it, is it oregon right the state of oregon yeah, yeah. where you can have these incredible vistas and you can walk uh you know you can have these trails and these paths where you view just endless sort of forests and valleys and rivers and things and then there's you know little because the landscape is just such a vast uh, creature it's got a life of its own basically um whereas obviously in england you know the, the landscape's amazing and wonderful but we it's not, kind it's of, not uh, as vast and untrammeled yeah it's not as alien and and kind of uh spiritually inhabited maybe you'd say um but yeah i mean the, the mantle obviously as an album it's 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 bloody masterful but so listen i, I have John to end himself. it i have mm. to end it on that sorry, note sorry. uh something's yeah, come yeah. up and i gotta run listen to agalock everyone is right now listen come back come back all right yeah yeah all right all brother. Right, i gotta run it's unceremoniously great. have a great day lots of love anyway thanks a lot bye-bye man